Doris. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Today, can we take a journey from Texas to Israel? Not on the backs of cows, but in the pursuit of the red heifer. And I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms five perfectly red heifers required for the ritual purification of those who have touched a dead body arrived in Israel from a ranch in Texas as the Temple Institute continues preparations to lay the ground for the construction of the third temple in Jerusalem. Does that sound like history is in the making? Does it sound like prophecy just might be on the near edge of fulfillment? You got that right. The heifers remain 100% red and avoid any blemishes which could disqualify them. They will each be eligible to be used to create the ashes required by Jewish law to purify those who have been in contact with a dead body. That was explained by the Temple Mount Institute, and this level of purification would be needed in order to allow the Kohanim or the priests to carry out their work in a future temple. The heifers were located and brought to Israel with the help of the Bone Israel organization, which involves both Jews and Christians. Byron Stinson, a Texas rancher and a fundraiser and advisor for the organization, actually found the cattle. I am probably, he said, the best red heifer hunter in Texas. The Bible says to bring a red cow to purify Israel, and I may not understand it, but I'm just going to do what the Bible said. Unlike a lot of Christians today in America, he said, I'm just going to do what the Bible says, no matter whether I understand it or not. The prophecies came true, and the Jews are back in Israel, he said. Now they need to build a temple. And the red heifer is the key to making the temple work like it's supposed to. The farmer who raised the cattle is a devout Christian who is intensely interested in this commandment and began breeding cattle for this trait. We're going to find out who he is in just a few moments, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation as always, my friend with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And you might think, well, what does a red heifer have to do with conviction? Well, it has everything to do with conviction. Because if the Bible says that there must be a red heifer in order for the temple sacrifices to take place according to God's instructions in his own word, and such red heifers has not have not been available for 2,000 years, neither has a temple been available for 2,000 years. Yet the scripture says the Lord himself will suddenly come to his temple, even the message of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord, and who shall abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire. So if indeed there is going to be a third temple, there must be the red heifer. And if there's a red heifer's coming... Now, after 2,000 years, it it would seem to be proof beyond a reasonable doubt that we're on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. Do you understand that kind of reasoning? Well, that's why, friends, 
That's why it's conviction should be convicting to our hearts. It should tell us that in order for this to be highly relevant to us, we need to be conformed to the expectation of God as he describes in his word to be ready. That's what Jesus spent half of his parables talking about, getting ready, being prepared for the time of his return. Some people will say, well, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. Does that mean he's ready for the return of Christ? The demons believe in God. In fact, the demons actually believe in Jesus more than most Christians do. Did you know that? The demons actually believe. In fact, when Jesus went about performing his miracles, there were a number of times when the demons cried out and said, leave us alone. Don't disturb us before our time, you son of the most high or you son of God. They recognized who he was. And they actually experienced what we might call the fear of the Lord, unlike many people today. And so this matter of being prepared, being prepared for the coming of the just one, that's another euphemistic name for Jesus Christ as Messiah. In order to be prepared, we have to be pure. So the red heifer may be necessary for purification of the priests to offer sacrifices, but what is necessary for our purification? Is it the blood of bulls and goats or red heifers? No. What is it? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us very clearly what it is in chapters 9 and 10. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we are not cleansed by the blood of bulls and goats because those who received that kind of atonement or cleansing had to do so from year to year. But we are cleansed by the blood of Yeshua, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, not a Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. If, if, We put our total trust in him and live accordingly. Notice the live accordingly. We can say we put our total trust in him by mouthing certain words in a confession of faith, but if our life doesn't coordinate with it, we're just playing games, aren't we? So if we really believed, then our life would evidence that belief. If our life does not evidence that belief, and I'm not talking about going to church. Going to church is important. That is, fellowshipping with God's people. That's important. We ought to do that. But that alone is not sufficient. Our life must look like Jesus. We used to sing a song, my desire to be like Jesus, my desire to be like him. His spirit fill me, his love overwhelm me indeed and truth to be like him. Notice, indeed and truth to be like him. So that's the reason, friends, why we can say ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms right here on Viewpoint, because that is the purpose for bringing all of this fascinating information that reveals the time that we're in. It's time 
to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now that's the good news. The bad news is that if our life doesn't consist of following the Lord's ways, and we're walking in rebellion, we're walking in stubbornness, we're walking in pride, we're walking in sin, and so on, we have a differing viewpoint from what God has said concerning our lives, then we're not ready. So it's time to get ready. People get ready. Jesus, Yeshua, is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, from here on out, we're going to lay out before you the development of this red heifer It's fascinating. And then take a look at where we stand with regard to the rebuilding of the third temple. Stay tuned. This is Hubert. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today, in this next segment of the program, we take a look at the development, the movement, the fulfillment of the biblical requirement going back 4,000 years about to the Torah, 3,500, 4,000 years, to the writing of the Torah, that is the first five books of Moses, where God tells Moses they have to have a red heifer. But why? And if they had to have the red heifer then, from the perspective, viewpoint of Jewish rabbis to this day, they must have a red heifer now. So, because the red heifer was necessary in order for the temple sacrifices to be properly made and the purification and cleansing of the priests, For that reason, they could not rebuild a temple in the last 2,000 years. And there have been no red heifers. So what's going on? How is it that at this unique moment in time, about six years before the 2,000th year since Jesus died and rose again, 2030, about 2030 will be 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again. And now all of a sudden, we see the red heifer resurrected in history. Well, that having been said, five perfectly red heifers required for the ritual purification of those who have touched a dead body arrived in Israel from a ranch in Texas as the Temple Institute continued preparations to lay the ground for the construction of the third temple in Yerushalayim, or Jerusalem. The heifers remain 100% red and avoid any blemishes which would disqualify them. And if they do, they will be eligible to use to create the ashes required by Jewish law. So, 
in the spring, let's go back and find out how this develops. Has God been in the move on this? Well, interestingly, if you go back into the 1980s, you find that the Jewish people, by and large, did not have very much of a then strong messianic expectation. As I recall, the figure was something like uh, maybe 16, 20%, something like that, of people who were looking for a rebuilt temple and were actually believing that the Messiah might be near at hand. Now that figure has jumped to about 65%. That's a huge jump, friends. But in the spring of 1989, when all of this movement began, a Pentecostal preacher or evangelist named Clyde Lott was thumbing through the Bible. He was looking up all the references to cows. Why? Well, because he was one of the leading cattle breeders in the Southeast. And he was specializing in raising show cattle. So when Clyde Lott turned to Numbers 19, he read one of the many conversations that God had with Moses and his brother Aaron as they were leading the Jews through the desert toward the Promised Land. God said, Speak unto the children of Israel that they may bring you a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. So the cow was to be given to a priest to slay, and the Lord said, Now burn that on a pyre of cedar, hyssop, and a strand of scarlet thread. Then the ashes of the heifer will be mixed with water and used to purify those who have been exposed to to death. Anyone who fails to be purified shall be cut off from among the congregation because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Now that may seem very strange to you and to me. We may have no clue whatsoever what God had in mind there. But God spoke it. So it might be one of the more mysterious uh, injunctions of the Bible, but it was a God injunction. Now, you don't always understand exactly what why God says what he says. Some people don't understand why God gave a prohibition against divorce, why God gave a prohibition against remarriage if your spouse was still living after divorce. A lot of people don't understand that. And so they choose to disagree with what God has said and conduct their lives accordingly. When you do that, it's very dangerous. If the Jewish people tried to build a temple and to offer sacrifices without going through what God required, in fact, commanded with regard to the red heifer and its purification, what do you think might happen? You see, the people don't know. But they have the fear of the Lord, and because of the fear of the Lord, they say, we're not going to try this without This is not an experiment. We're going to do it God's way because it's his temple. You get the point. So you and I need to understand that if we truly are seeking God with a whole heart, if we really profess to be followers of Yeshua, Jesus Christ as Messiah, we are going to do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He obeyed the Father. 
He didn't deviate from the Father's will. He said, whatever the Father says, I do. Whatever he doesn't say, I don't do. Whatever the Father uh, is thinking, I'm thinking. Whatever he does, I do, and so on. In other words, I'm here to do the will of him that sent me. Then Jesus, Yeshua, turned around and he said, folks, I've been the light of the world while I was here. Now I'm leaving. You're the light of the world. And as the Father sent me to do the will of the Father, now I'm leaving it to you to do the will of the Father just like I did. So you see, that passage, as the Father sent me, even so send I you, was not a missionary passage. It was a statement of revelation to those who would be the followers of Jesus that their purpose and goal on the planet was to do the will of God. Not the will of God as they deemed it, but the will of God as Jesus revealed it. All of these things that I'm sharing with you here are critically important for our lives if we truly are serious about believing that we're in the end of the age, that Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord of the church, Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, is coming back soon to take a bride. Why is that? Because Jesus said, I'm not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Well, it was the Apostle Paul that echoed those words right there in Ephesians chapter 5. He's not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, which means you and I are to be prepared as the living temples of God, as pure and holy and chaste virgins unto Christ. Now, if we're not, if we're not in that position, then we're not eligible. And we're going to be like the five foolish virgins that were not ready when the bridegroom came and they had to go out and try to fetch some oil. And by the time they found it, it was too late and the door was shut. That's why Jesus gave that parable. So we want to be ready. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be coming home. So it's in that context, you see, the broader context, that we talk about the red heifer and the rebuilding of the temple for the balance of the program here today. So here is this fella, Clyde Lott, in 1989, who's reading through the Bible as a cattle breeder, and he's looking for all the places to talk about cows. And he goes to Numbers 19, and it's talking about a red heifer. You got to have it, he said. So, that is the beginning of the story, shall we say, in modern times of the red heifer. Now, there's a longing for the return of Jesus on earth. That's at the core of uh, our belief as Bible-believing Christians. And most Bible-believing Christians assume that we're living on the edge of human history right now. In any case, and that the modern events in the Middle East are fulfillments of prophecies made some 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago by Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, 
and John and so on. And these prophecies require three great events before the Messiah can return. First, the nation of Israel had to be restored. Second, Jerusalem had to be become a Jewish city under the control of the Jews. And third, the temple, the center of worship that had been destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD had to be rebuilt. Two of those conditions have already been met as of 1967. Only one remains, the rebuilding of the temple. So you can see as Clyde Lott was reading the Bible that day back in 1989, he realized that the second coming and the fate of humankind was dependent on this red heifer. And in order for the Jews to rebuild the temple and prepare the way for the return of the Messiah, they had to be purified with the ashes of the red heifer. And a qualified red heifer had not been found in Israel in 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years. Fascinating, isn't it? And interestingly now, this account is being brought out in the news in the last several days. In fact, on July 14th, Israel National News came out with a featured piece called Red Heifer Center, a major attraction for a million visitors a year. I'm looking right in the face of a red heifer right now. I don't see his red color because it's in black and white, but I'm looking right at his face. He's about two years old. He's a big boy or girl. Big. And displayed in Israel at the ancient Shiloh site where originally during the days of Samuel, the prophet, the people worshipped. The Red Heifer Center is expected to attract many visitors and tourists, not only from Israel, but all over the world. They're expecting a million visitors a year. Bringing back the Jewish past for the future of the people. But the future of the people is all linked to the rebuilding of the temple. So now that we have connected the dots with regard to the red heifer, now we need to connect the dots with regard to the rebuilding of the temple. You see, if we really are sincere about these things and we look at them with sincerity and in truth, we can connect the dots logically understandably, and it doesn't become confusing. That's our job right here on Viewpoint. Every single day, I ask the Lord to give me clarity of mind and heart and thought from his point of view to bring together things that seem so broad and uh, disparate in their presentation the way people normally see them and to bring them together in a way that not only makes sense, but grips our hearts. That's what it's about. It's all about the heart. 
It's not just about our heads. It's about our hearts. So the next question that has to be asked is, will there be a third temple? And if so, when will it be built? And why do we need it? Or do we need it? Several years ago, a headline appeared, I believe it was in the Jerusalem Post, and it said, the world needs the temple. Really? Why would the world need the temple? Because of many Christians and their pastors would say, well, we don't need a temple. God doesn't live in temples made with hands. Well, he didn't live in temples made with hands during the tabernacle coming out of the wilderness. He didn't live in temples made with hands when Solomon built the temple. He didn't live in temples made with hands when Jesus walked into the temple and called it his house. Yet Jesus called it his house. Interesting, isn't it? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chrismeyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals, saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Chuck Chris Meyer. Before we move further, I want to make available to you a copy of my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. And uh, as you read that book, it's my latest book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. As you read that book, you're going to find the vast amount of alternative messiahs that are being offered to we the people all over the world. And they're very persuasive. There are these amazing belief systems that you don't even think about. But they're persuading untold millions, in fact, billions of people across the planet. And in the middle of it all comes someone called Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus. The Messiah that the Jews themselves reject. And Jesus made this statement. He said, I came unto you in my Father's name, and you didn't receive me. But there is one coming in his own name, and him you're going to receive. I want you to remember those words, because they're going to connect later on here in the program today with regard to the rebuilding of the temple. Very critical critical for the Jewish people, more critical than they could ever imagine. Because God said through the prophet Isaiah that they are going to enter into a covenant with death. What does that have to do with the temple? If they got the red heifer, 
Why are they going to enter into a covenant with death? Does it have something to do with the rebuilding of the temple? And if so, if that's something they yearn for and desire, why would it be deadly? Would you like to know? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But in the meantime, get a copy of the book Messiah, $22 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, I want to uh, suggest that you also get a copy of King of the Mountain, because in a sense, they go together. They're not duplicative, but they go together. King of the Mountain helps us to understand the trajectory of all history and prophecy toward the ultimate picture place of the Temple Mount in world history and in biblical prophecy. And what is happening, what has been happening, and what is now happening is so fascinating and fulfillment, fulfilling a biblical prophecy that it should somehow encourage the mind and heart of every single Christian believer that you can take God at his word and you can trust him. No matter whether it looks like you can or not, you can. Because if God has spoken, it it is going to happen no matter what people say about how difficult it might be for it to take place. That book, King of the Mountain, $20 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. It talks about the Temple Mount. It talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, the the Temple of Jacob's trouble, the history of the Temple Mount, and why it is so central in the mind and heart of God, the very place where God chose to put his name there. So if God chose to put his name there, guess where his arch enemy wants to put his name? I'm, be, I'm giving you a clue. I'm giving, dropping lots of clues as we head toward the, the final segment of the program here today. So get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain, $15. Now, if you get both of those books at the same time, King of the Mountain and Messiah, you're looking at 15 plus 22, so that would be $37, and only $5 postage and handling, excuse me, $7 postage and handling for the two books instead of $5 for each. So you're going to save $3 by getting the two books together. I urge you to do that if you don't have those two books. King of the Mountain and Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Okay. Now, let us move forward, because we're not here primarily to promote books. Those books actually reveal things beyond what we can actually talk about here on this program. There's just not enough time. The Temple Institute there in Israel operates a small museum in the Jewish quarter of the Old City. A visitor steps down into a basement room that houses the collection and bookstore, 
And one of the books on display is called The Mystery of the Red Heifer, Divine Promise of Purity, and it's by Rabbi Richmond. Rabbi Richmond is the guy that heads up the Temple Mount Institute. So there's a guide there, and he tells the visitors, any beautiful building you ever saw cannot compare with the beauty of the temple. That's how it was seen, historically. That's why the disciples, a couple of days before Jesus' crucifixion, were walking with Jesus, and they said, look at all these amazing buildings here. They were all proud infatuated with the the temple and all the buildings. And Jesus said, you know what, guys? Very soon, not one stone is going to be left upon another. They're all going to be torn down. Hmm. And they were. About 40 years later, in 70 AD, all torn down by the Romans, within one long generation, Well, the goal of the Temple Mount Institute is not only to restore the temple itself, but to reinstate the priestly activities, caste responsibilities, and animal sacrifice that characterize the nation of Israel. You say, well, why would we want to do that? Why would we, as Gentile Christian believers, be interested and concerned about that? Well, there's a good reason for that, and it helps us to realize what Christ actually did for us, even the more so. But the Jewish people have not received Jesus. You see, only about 12,000 Jewish people in Israel are said to be Messianic Jews or followers of Jesus or Yeshua. About 12,000. Interesting. How many Jews are in Israel? About 6 million. So only about 12,000 out of 6 million. And how many in the rest of the world? Well, there are about uh, maybe 7 million Jews throughout the rest of the world. If you took the same percentages, it wouldn't be very many, would it? You can see the problem. So the Jewish people are looking for a temple because that is their supreme hope. Their supreme hope is that because the temple is to them the clearest identification with them as a people. It binds them together as a people historically, presently, and for the future. It's a big deal. So the construction of the third temple is essential to the view that many Orthodox Jews have of salvation and the coming of Messiah. Without the temple, there's no way to fulfill many of the religious obligations, like the ritual sacrifices that the Torah requires. And that means that all Jews are stuck. Remember this. All Jews are stuck in a state of impurity before God. They're unable to be in the presence of God. By definition, according to the very Torah that they revere. And they know it. So, the Holy Temple in Judaism is so important and primary 
that it can really be said that Judaism as it's practiced today is not the vehicle that God intended it to be. And that's the statement coming from the founder and head of the Temple Institute. The prophets of Israel emphasize that the temple is really much more than just a synagogue. The temple is actually the device through which God manifests his presence to mankind, says Rabbi uh, Richman. And so, that leads us now to the next step with regard to the temple. Why the temple? Is it just because the Jews yearn for it? No, it's not just because the Jews yearn for it. It's because without it, the Jews have no hope. Because they have not embraced the hope of Israel. Tikvot Israel, they have not embraced the hope of Israel, Yeshua HaMashiach. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as would receive him, to them he gave authority to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name and conducted themselves accordingly. In other words, lived as if they were born again. Didn't just claim to be born again, lived as if they were. That's the evidence of the Hebrew word believe. Doesn't mean cognitive assent to the existence of God or the existence of Jesus or the existence of the cross. All those things are religious words. God's not interested in religious words. He's interested in righteous actions, righteous belief and behavior. That's what God's interested in. And that's where we miss the mark so much. That's why sin is abounding so much in God's own house in the Gentile world. And so we go to the Temple Mount now and the rebuilding of the Temple. When will it happen? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. What a delight it is to come before you day after day after day here for 28 and a half years confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. It's not just America's heart and home. It's all people's hearts and homes. 
all across the world. There are many, many thousands of people around the world listening to this program. Some via shortwave. Many via their cell phones and podcasts. The message is going out. It would go out even further if we had more people in the name of Christ who saw the critical importance of getting this message out more broadly. They would realize that indeed this is the ultimate missionary message. You can go out and try to get people to make a confession of faith. It might take umpteen years for someone to be able to gain enough attention in some land to be able to uh, accomplish that. But you still haven't accomplished discipleship. Every single day on this program, we're discipling the people for destiny. Every single day, including today. It's not just information. It's information for transformation because of the application that we give. This is not a matter of bragging. It's a matter of revealing what is actually happening here. Some people may say, well, I've heard other broadcasts like, no, you haven't. Not really. Because they don't make the kind of applications that we do. They give information. It tickles the ear. But they're not bringing it to bear upon the minds and hearts of the listeners. That's the difference. So, as someone has said, you just can't listen to viewpoint long and not be changed. You have to change. You can't just keep listening. You're going to turn it off because you don't want to hear it because you don't want to change. But on the other hand, if your heart is right, you will want to change. The change will happen, and then what you hear will be even more encouraging to you. And you want to tell others about it. And one way you tell others about it is by your love gifts from a cheerful heart. I hope you consider that. Now, let us move forward. In order to put in context the third temple, the rebuilding of the third temple and the motivation among Jewish people, we have to understand who they are expecting as the Messiah. The Mashiach is the term they use, Mashiach. Well, this is coming directly from Chabad, which is a very fundamentalist Jewish organization. The Messianic redemption will be ushered in by a person, they say, a human leader, a descendant of Kings David and Solomon, who will reinstate the Davidic royal dynasty. Mashiach, or Messiah, will be wiser than Solomon and a prophet around the level of Moses. Now, why do they say that? Because Moses said, I believe it was in the book of Deuteronomy, he told the Jewish people before he left them and turned the reins over to Joshua to lead them to the promised land, he said that God would raise up one like unto him who would speak to the people and lead them. 
So from their viewpoint, see, they believe that the Messiah will be a mere man like Moses. You probably did not know that. They do not believe in a divine Messiah. We had one of the premier leaders, uh, media leaders in Israel on this program a couple of years ago. And that person clearly indicated over and over, we are not expecting a divine Messiah. He will be a mere man. So then how are you going to identify this Messiah if he's a mere man? That's the next question, isn't it? How would you know who he is? How would you know he's a Messiah? Well, here is what Maimonides, the, uh, one of the key rabbis uh, going back in history in Israel said, and this is what they rely upon. The following are the criteria for identifying the Messiah, or Mashiach, as written by Maimonides. If we see a Jewish leader who, first, toils in the study of Torah and is meticulous about the observance of the, uh, the deeds of the Torah, good works, who influences the Jews to follow the ways of the Torah, and who wages the battles of God, such a person is the presumptive Messiah. Then, if the person succeeds in all those three endeavors and then rebuilds the Holy Temple in Jerusalem and facilitates the ingathering of the Jews to the land of Israel, then we are certain that he is the Messiah. Okay. Three fundamental preliminary characteristics has to study the Torah meticulously, has to observe the deeds of the Torah, and then influences the Jews to follow the ways of the Torah, which is the battle, then he's a presumptive Messiah. Then if he facilitates the rebuilding of the temple, he definitely is the Messiah. All right? Now that being the case, if that's the definition then what happens when a counterfeit Christ figure appears to be educated in the Torah, quotes the Torah, seems to be following the demands of the Torah in terms of doing certain things, good works, mitzvah, and uh, then... Amazingly, facilitates geopolitically the rebuilding of the temple. What will the Jews do? They will glom onto that man as the Messiah. They'll enter into whatever agreements he requires of them because he is promising them the ultimate of their expectations a temple. That's the ultimate. In a sense, the rebuilding of the temple is almost more important to the Jews than the Messiah himself. So, I want you to think with me now. If that be the case, 
and somebody comes along that seems to fulfill these three requirements and then helps to rebuild the temple and is seen as so favorable to the Jewish people, what is going to happen? They're going to embrace him like the greatest thing since sliced bread. They are going to glom onto him as the Messiah. They'll enter into a covenant with him where he promises this, that, or the other that Isaiah calls a covenant with death. And it's going to cause such horrific pain to the Jewish people because they rejected Yeshua as the real Messiah and embraced a counterfeit. And that counterfeit, when he walks into that rebuilt temple, as the Apostle Paul talks about, and declares himself God, all hell will break loose. Only then will the Jewish people realize what a horrific mistake they have made. That it will be too late. And two-thirds of all the Jewish people on the planet will lose their lives, according to the prophet Zechariah. Two-thirds. It's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble, friends. And it surrounds the issue of the temple. Yes, the rebuilding of the temple is a necessary thing. Why is it necessary to rebuild the temple? First of all, because the Bible declares, seems to declare there will be a third temple. How can a counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, walk into a temple that doesn't exist? You explain that. How can the prophet Malachi say that the Lord himself will suddenly come to his temple, even the messengers of the covenant whom you delight in? Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord, but who will abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? Because he's going to be like a refiner's fire. How is that going to happen if there's no rebuilt temple? And, of course, Ezekiel talks about a temple as well. There are a lot of arguments that people make. Don't get caught up with all of the rationalizings and reasonings and thoughts. No, we have to bring into captivity all our fleshly reasonings and thoughts, friends. Bring them all into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and only then will we be able to comprehend and understand in simplicity what is happening and why, and conduct our lives accordingly. So, will there be a rebuilt temple? I believe there will. And it cannot happen until the red heifers are available. And they're not available yet. Why is that? Because it's necessary for them to be around, observed, to make sure they are absolutely without blemish, pure, and so on, for I think it's three years. And they're not three years old yet. So there's at least about a year to go at least about a year, minimum. So let's suppose then that a year from now, 2024 sometime, the red heifers are available for the purification. Then the temple can be rebuilt. 
Well, how long would it take the temple to be rebuilt? Some have said it could be rebuilt in a year. Because they prepared all of the various accoutrements. Everything is ready. It's all prepared. The only thing that was remaining were the red heifers. So, indeed now, we're looking at a situation where when the red heifers are available, the temple can be rebuilt, and then, and then what? Well, that's going to put us somewhere between 2024 and a half, probably, or 2025, and 2030. Hmm. Of course, you recognize the number 2030, don't you? When all of the global government focus and agenda is set to take place. Well, that has to do with the rise of the resurrected Roman Empire, the other countering empires that the Bible talks about, the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, and so on. And it also it also has to do with uh, the resurrection of the Jewish people and their anticipation, their unification to walk forward in the building of the temple. And when that happens, their expectation is going to be beyond anything that will be stopped. Why do they need it? Because without the sac- without the temple, they have no sacrifices. Without the sacrifices and the red heifer, they have no hope for even a Jewish salvation from sin. They're without hope, friends. They're without hope. Are you beginning to get the picture? This is a very, very big deal. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but pray for the salvation of Jewish people, but even the more so, pray for the salvation and the repentance of Gentiles who are not ready even though they name the name of Christ. Because they're not walking in holiness without which no man shall see them. Make sense? Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Get the books. King of the Mountain. Messiah. Our website. Save us. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.